The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Inspire FM. My name is Esther Lassahinde of Liberty Law Solicitors, and I'm going to be hosting today's segment on um, for the Ask Your Lawyer show. Now, um, today we're going to be discussing um, about employment, but as you know, it has been a mental health awareness week in the UK last week, so we thought we'd do a segment touching um, on that and linking that to employment law. Um, this year's theme was actually body image, and I think a segment was done last week um, with Suleiman Rafiq, but today we're going to talk about mental um, health conditions and how that affects people in um, the workplace. Um, today I have with me Atik Malik of Liberty Law Solicitors with us to answer some questions. Um, so at first I was just going to talk about what mental health is. Um, a lot of people don't realise that you have help from your employers. Is that true, Mr Malik, that employers are... Yeah, so basically... Um Employers have a duty of care towards you mm-hmm. um, when you're at work to ensure that your health and well-being is looked after too. Yeah. Um, and the way it all works is really it comes down to does your medical condition, in this case talking about mental health, mm-hmm. does your medical condition yeah. fall within the definition of a disability? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. Because if it falls within the definition of disability, it triggers a whole range of procedures and policies and practices that have to be followed. Mm -hmm. Whereas otherwise, uh, an employer is under less of a duty, uh, a much lower duty, if Mm -hmm. any, apart from your basic contractual entitlements to look after you really in terms of your mental health. Yeah. Um, And the way it works is this, under the Equality Act 2010, Mm -hmm. there are a list of protected characteristics. So protected characteristics are race, sex, religion, age, sexual orientation, and one of them is, of course, disability. Mm -hmm. And what that means in a nutshell is if you um, are treated badly at work, because of a protected characteristic, you can bring a claim for discrimination. So that's the most simplest form. Mm -hmm. So if we then take this a step deeper, so with um, uh, mental health, for example, if you suffer from a uh, medical condition of some type of mental health Mm -hmm. issue, and that falls within a definition of a disability, Not only does it mean that you can't not you cannot be treated badly directly, and I'm going to use some technical words here now. Mm-hmm. So first of all, you cannot be treated badly directly. Yeah. Which means I cannot, for example, decide not to give someone a not to give someone a promotion mm. simply because they are disabled, or swear at them because they are disabled, mm-hmm. or do other anything which could be um, seen as unfavourable treatment. That's the key word. Yeah. So that's direct. Or I can't have a policy in place which indirectly uh, discriminates against disabled people. So, for example, a disabled person might need to have regular appointments with their um, 
counselor or medical practitioner or whatever medical specialist or appointment or treatments, whatever it is, whereas normal person would not. So in that case, you might have a situation where because of those absences from work, it creates an absence in their work record. Mm-hmm. So if the employer has a policy where people are only promoted, for example, or certain things are done or not done because of their attendance record, but yeah. the attendance is affected by the disability mm-hmm. and there's no nothing in place to sort of cushion that, or take that into account or accommodate that, then yeah. potentially there's a complaint there of indirect discrimination. Mm-hmm. And on taking that a step further, if you're suffering from a medical condition such as some sort of mental health issue, yeah. and you've shown the employer that it's a disability, mm-hmm. then you can ask what's called reasonable adjustments. Mm-hmm. So a reasonable adjustment would be a request for the employer to make changes at work. Yeah which could then accommodate that person's disability, in this case the mental health, mm-hmm. to allow them to continue to work mm-hmm. for the employer. Yeah. And so any breaches of those would then be a breach of um, uh, the Employment Rights under the Equality Act yeah. and allow them to bring a claim. And those three areas generally create mm-hmm. the powers that you have mm-hmm. and protection under mental health. Yeah. And so the first question really is, how does it qualify mm-hmm. I suppose, as a disability. Yeah. Just to stop you there, um, because you were talking about um, appointments and the effect it has on their Mm. employment. Um, I believe we have a caller. Um, Paul, are you there? Hi. Hi, Paul. Um, I just wanted to ask you, so you work in um, mental health and um, with mental health patients. Could you just give us an insight as to the effect it has on people um, having a mental health issue because I'm sure you see clients you don't have to obviously disclose where you work and everything but in terms of appointments how time consuming and the effect it has on them daily because that's something we're going to pick up on later in regards to the daily effects it has to people's day-to-day activities and how long-term that is so just starting off if you could just explain to us what kind of effect it has on people, especially people that suffer from anxiety and depression, where there's a stigma where people don't want to raise that to their employers? Well, um, yeah, I think it's key to state that it kind of starts from as soon as they wake up. Some people can wake up and feel quite anxious and for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. And obviously they can get into work and feel like they're anxious about one thing or another. And that may then impact on their work yeah but they know that sometimes it may impact on their work in such a way which is now causing them to perform below the level required for them yeah and sometimes it's depending on whether they know or how accepting the employer or understanding the employer is of Mm -hmm. their mental health condition which may sometimes lead to positive results such as take some time off Mm -hmm. or you know take the day off or sometimes some employers just saying that you know what we don't know if you're a good fit for the work right now Mm -hmm. or using some sort of legal framework has like a loophole to either let that person go or state why they can't do that said work anymore is that something you see working in in your profession do you have people come to you and complain or do you have people that now express to you that they're worried to raise an issue do you feel like there's a stigma in regards to 
to be honest, I think it's getting a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think because there has been a massive push for mental health within media that you do see that people are more open to it and understanding mm-hmm. of some of the um, anxiety disorders and depression and things like that. So a lot of employees are a lot more careful because yeah. they're more aware of it, mm-hmm. but also because they understand the ramifications of being um, discriminating an employee because of a mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, yeah, I do I do see a lot of patients who do come in and part of their maybe presenting symptoms with the anxiety, which has just gone over the edge, has been that yeah. they've gone to work, haven't been able to cope, and they've kind of just spilled out and the employer has now asked them to leave or said that as a result of this, come back when you're well. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes can be a way of just saying that, you know, we're not going to take you back, it's best you just go yeah. this way. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that's the issue when people are are unaware of the rights they do have under the Equality yeah. Act um, to have support from their employers and to also know that they are protected um, by law. Perfect. So thank you so much for calling in and giving us an insight. The reason why I did, um, I'm happy that you've called in, is because um, a big um segment of why we're doing this topic is because a lot of people don't know that they're affected and they are protected sorry um by the equality act and some people are also unaware as how a mental impairment can affect people on a daily basis so thank you very much for your input thank you for calling thank you for having me you're welcome. Okay, so Atik, thank you. So we're just discussing um, about the um, what makes a disability a um, sorry what ha- what makes a mental health condition a disability. Um, I know something that must be proven is that it has to be is it has to be long term. So my question is: Is it the burden of proof on the employee or the employer to prove that their medical condition is a disability? What is the criteria for that? Well, if it's a contested matter uh, at a tribunal hearing, mm-hmm. um, then it will be for the employee initially okay. to prove that it is mm-hmm. um, something that amounts to disability. So the way it works is um, if you suffer from a medical condition which affects you on a daily basis and a long-term basis, then that amounts to a disability. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a wide mm. definition. Under the old law, such as the um, Disability Discrimination Act, um, it used to be 12 months was the test. Mm-hmm. So if you suffered for, from something for 12 months or more yeah. um, and it affects you daily, then it's a disability. And the test for how it affects you is in the absence of any medication or other support. So, for example, um, if you take medication and act normally every single day Mm -hmm. and don't suffer from any health issues because you're on that medication, that doesn't mean that you're not disabled because the test would be what would happen if that medication was not taken. Yeah, So that's the test. And also intermittent um, medical conditions can also um, be classified as as disability. So 
if someone suffers from something, say for a few months, and then it goes away, but it's likely to come back and it mm. dies, and it comes and goes, and mm. it comes and goes. So even though they haven't suffered from it regularly for a period of twelve months yeah. or more, mm-hmm. because it's an intermittent reoccurring condition, mm-hmm. then that still qualifies as a disability. Yeah. So what we did in the Equality Act when that came in in two thousand and ten is they made it the definition a bit easier. Yeah. So we took away the twelve month specific. Okay. But. The general yardstick, people still use sort of that. use that as yeah. yet, so 12 months. And it doesn't have to have gone on for 12 months. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, you were diagnosed with some sort of condition today, yeah. but a doctor said it's likely to carry on for a significant amount of time mm-hmm. in the region of 12 months or more, yeah. then you could bring still use that as an argument mm-hmm. that you are suffering from a disability yeah. um, because it's something that is likely to uh, uh, continue. So there's different ways of tackling the long-term basis. Mm-hmm. And I said daily basis, it can be um, reoccurring and it can be and it has to be something uh, that's measured in terms of um, in the absence of medication or anything yeah. other that supports you medically. Now, how what kind of conditions can be classified? I'll give you an example. It is possible if you suffer from migraines. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Migraines are a medical condition yeah. and it affects you on a daily basis mm-hmm. and on a long term basis. Under the, or you might not be able to get a blue parking badge yeah. for migraine from your local mm. authority, you but try. under employment law, mm-hmm. you could argue that amounts to disability. Okay. If you suffer from stress and anxiety, which ordinarily people might think, oh, well, everybody gets stressed. Mm. But if you have a condition where you suffer from stress and anxiety and it affects you on a daily basis and a long-term basis, yeah. you could argue that's a disability. Mm-hmm. And indeed, um, stress and anxiety, it's, it's all different. when you look into that, uh, it does come under the heading, I'd say, of mental health mm-hmm. because it is a psychological issue and there's different... So if it's a spectrum, there's different ranges within that spectrum. There's some people who suffer from uh, stress and anxiety and they sort of deal with it. Yeah. Maybe they do a bit of exercise, they do a bit of counselling and they're okay. Mm-hmm. There's some people who need to take medication. And there's some people who... I mean, I remember a good few years ago, I came across somebody who suffered from stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and it was so serious when they when it kicked in that they were actually immobile. They couldn't move out of their bed. Their bodies wouldn't move. They'd mm-hmm. become frozen with the sheer level of stress. And yeah. that that is a real phenomenon of the high end of the spectrum mm. on stress and anxiety mm-hmm. where people cannot even physically move. So that yeah. basically just is, you know, um, one example of mental health, which people might not even consider to be mental health. Yeah. And a lot of people could say, well, I suffer from stress and anxiety. And suddenly you go from a position where most people who consider themselves not to be disabled yeah. may actually be disabled under the Equality Act and may not be getting the protection of the Equality Act because they don't recognise that they are able to um, claim rights under it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you go into these serious mental health issues which clearly yeah. are disabilities where someone's been diagnosed properly mm-hmm. for, I don't know, some sort of schizophrenia, bipolar yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, that, that those are the sort of ranges that you look at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned about um, mental health conditions such as uh, depression, anxiety and stress. From your experience, how hard is that to prove? Because you've now said that due to the law, um, the law changing now, it's not that 12 months. It's that's kind of used as a yardstick. But from an employer's um, 
standpoint, couldn't they argue and say, oh, well, he's just been diagnosed or it's actually not a disability? How how can now an employer come back and what have you seen with your cases that they've tried to argue that it's not a disability? It depends on the angle of uh, um, how it's put to the employer. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if an employee is suffering from certain conditions, yeah and has a letter from their doctor setting out the medical condition and mm-hmm. stating it's a disability and the employee hands that to the employer and says here you go yeah. this letter shows that i've got this medical condition and it's that i suffer from a disability and indeed i agree that i suffer from a disability mm-hmm. if the employer doesn't challenge that and it then continues on yeah and later on something goes wrong and the employee brings a claim for disability discrimination mm-hmm. the employer will be stuck in that position to mm-hmm. say I didn't know it was disability or I refute it because Mm -hmm. an employee or a court might say, well, you were informed of it, you never challenged it Mm -hmm. and you carried on with it. Of course, if someone could still prove with medical evidence that irrespective of that, the fact still remains that the person does not have a disability, then that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. So there's always that factual argument that can still take place so from an employer's perspective because of course employment law isn't just for employees it's also for Mm, employers so from an employer's perspective if you as an employer face an employee saying that they suffer from a medical condition which is disability or you suspect that someone's off ill quite a lot and you need to know what is it they suffer from to support them better and to protect your business Mm -hmm. and the best step forward will always be to refer them to occupational health okay and occupational health are medical consultants who are independent to the employer. They examine the employee and they do a report. Mm-hmm. And that report sets out what the medical conditions are, how it affects their work, what changes, if any, can be done in the workplace to help them. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, whether they um, suffer from something which amounts to a disability. Yeah. So if the occupational health report comes back and says no disability, and the employee even later on tries to argue disability, mm-hmm. the employer would be able to rely on that report to try and argue, oh, well, we weren't to know. Yeah, We had this person checked out and we were told that there is no disability and therefore we were under no duty to make reasonable adjustments or mm-hmm. do anything else to help them in mm-hmm. that respect. And neither did this person ever ask us. So that's normally the sort of thing. Yeah. Flips, flipping that over, occupational health says, yeah, it's a disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, these changes need to be made and this happens all the time the yeah. employer says yeah we'll make the changes they don't really have a meeting with the employee they take forever they either don't ever do it or they do it very late in the day mm-hmm. in the meantime the employee's condition deteriorates and they suffer from it um, they go off sick on a long term basis end up resigning or something or having some serious injury mm-hmm. Then the employers have got a problem because their own medical expert that the instructor has told them, they were told to make changes, they didn't, mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're in a very difficult position. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned about um, adjustments and them t- once they've received a, uh, been informed of a, a possible employee's condition. Um, so what kind of support can they give them? Because I know there's things such as phased returns and flexible working hours and reasonable adjustments is that something that they're obliged to do under the law yeah so under the law if someone suffers from a disability and there's an opportunity 
either by request of the employee or a doctor recommending it mm-hmm. for reasonable adjustments to be made to their working practices to allow that person to come to work and they do not mm-hmm. then that is a separate claim of failure to make a reasonable adjustments and a reasonable adjustment could be anything for example some people work in warehouses yeah. and they can't do heavy lifting mm-hmm. and they have and because they've got some serious back issue mm-hmm. so they inform the employer that I've got a serious back issue I can't do heavy lifting yeah. can I have a reasonable adjustment of doing the office work and the opportunity is there if they don't do it then you know the employer could be um, in breach of the Equality Act in that respect and be in a situation where they are now liable for not making a reasonable adjustment yeah. similarly some people might need regular rest breaks mm-hmm. And they make a reasonable adjustment request on that basis. Um, some people might only be able to work certain hours. Yeah. Some people cannot work night shift. Some people can only work day shift. And there's all sorts of different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the key word here is reasonable adjustment, not just adjustment. Yeah. So just because someone's from disability, just because they've asked for a adjustment, doesn't necessarily mean that adjustment is reasonable mm-hmm. so if an employer can argue that the adjustment that's being requested is either not reasonable or not feasible mm-hmm. then they can get out of it because for example someone's in the warehouse and they don't wish to do any heavy lifting because yeah. of the disability but unfortunately there is no other work there there is no mm. office work that they can give then even though the adjustment request might be reasonable on the face of it, it might not be reasonable in real terms, it may not be feasible in real terms. Mm So it's a balancing act for an employer. And if an employer is unable to accommodate it, then they do need to look at that. Yeah. Okay. One thing I wanted to touch upon um, with direct discrimination, I know there's a term called um, discrimination arising from association. So, or perception, the person actually themselves is not disabled, um, but maybe somebody they know is disabled. I know there's a lot of people that don't know that they are also protected. Can you touch on that? Yeah, so I've forgotten the case name now, it's been Mm. a little while, but in employment law, there was a case that was brought, and I think it might have been against the solicitor's office, was it oh. Attridge maybe? I can't remember. Okay. case of Attridge, I think, maybe. But what happened is um, uh, an employee needed time off, not for herself, mm-hmm. but for her disabled family member. Okay. And they made requests for that, and those requests were turned down. And in the end, I think that person was sanctioned for taking too much time off. Mm-hmm. And so that person was able to bring a claim on the basis of discrimination by association. Yeah. So even though they were not, they did not have a protected characteristic of disability, um, which was being infringed upon, they had an f- association with someone close to them who mm-hmm. was. And so because they were being treated badly because of that, that is known as discrimination by association. Okay, perfect. Um, so now going back to an employer's um, point of view and their standpoint, For instance, if someone had taken time off work um, and then came back on a phased return and then went off again for six months and they were needed in the office, maybe they're a small company and they decided to dismiss that employee, would that be considered discrimination? Would that be considered direct discrimination? Sorry, can you pass me again? Yeah, so for instance, if someone um, is, they know that they have a disability. Oh, yeah. They've taken time off work. They've returned 
and their condition has maybe gotten worse. So they've now taken a long period, maybe six months, even some people take up to a year and they're mm-hmm. on statutory sick pay. When, because an employee may say when enough is enough, I need her or him in the workplace. So if that person was to now be um, dismissed, would that be considered discrimination? So in employment law, there is no duty on an employer Mm -hmm. to keep a job role open for an employee indefinitely. A business has to run. You've got to to fill that Mm -hmm. slot somehow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the law recognises that. Equally, there's a balancing act because the law also recognises there's people who might be absent from work mm-hmm. and due to medical conditions, disabilities, and they need to be protected. Yeah. So we are now entering the arena of long-term ill health uh, mm-hmm. absences. How is an employer to deal with that? And so the, the way to deal with that is, again, to instruct, obtain medical evidence, instruct an occupational health therapist and try and determine if there's anything that can be done to facilitate that person's return to work in the near future. Mm-hmm. If someone's absent for a few weeks or a month or so, that's not a problem. Yeah. If they're absent for a long-term basis and there's nothing that can be done um, to help them, at the very least, you need to identify, is there a return to work date? Okay. And see where that return to work date is. If that return to work date is full time in the near future, then there's an argument the employer should make an, a reasonable adjustment in that regard and be patient and let the person come back to work. Mm-hmm. But if the return to work date is either there isn't one, because yeah. we don't know, or it's very far in the future, then mm-hmm. in that situation, the employer might be in the right uh, uh, position to then say, well, this is unworkable for us. We can't wait that mm-hmm. long or, we, mm-hmm. or for indefinite period or for such a long period. Yeah. And on that basis, we're going to have to terminate. And if they did that, then that would be a fair dismissal, mm-hmm. provided they fell, followed, uh, followed, followed through Sorry, yeah. all the steps, all the boxes, ticked all the right boxes. I mean, it's not a short process, it's a long process. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Um, we're reaching towards the end of um, our first half of the Ask Your Lawyer show. Today we're discuss- discussing um, disability, discrimination and more specifically mental health since it, it, since it was Mental Health Awareness Week. Join us after the break where we'll discuss more on the law. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Good evening and welcome back to Inspire FM um, for the Ask Your Lawyer segment. Today I am with Mr. Atik Malik of Liberty Law Solicitors. I am Esther Lassahinde of Liberty Law Solicitors. And today we are discussing um, disability discrimination. Um, Before the break, we touched upon um, mental health since it was Mental Health Awareness Week last week, just gone. Um, And we discussed uh, the impacts on the impact that mental health conditions have on us and how we can link that to employment and the dis- and the dis- and the support that should be provided by employers um so mr malik before the break we discussed about um discrimination by association um also i've heard of there's a term called ill health retirement is that is that something you can help now us? ill health retirement is an interesting one which everybody needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. The way it works is there's a lot of companies out there 
particularly old school companies that have what's called ill health retirement policies. Mm-hmm. Now, this particularly happens with local authorities. So if you work for local authorities anywhere in the country and you're suffering from long-term uh, health issues and you can't go back to work, mm-hmm. you need to check whether there's an ill health retirement policy in yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Because if there is and that gets activated and you are unable to work for the rest of your life because of this really serious medical condition, mm-hmm. you could be in a very comfortable position because they pay out really well. Yeah, They pay out, uh, I had one for a while, but they pay out like a massive lump sum on retirement and mm-hmm. they've really decent lump sums on a monthly or a quarterly or yearly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really are very lucrative mm-hmm. for employees who are in a difficult position. Yeah. Now, what happens is, obviously, nobody likes to pay out money, especially local or central mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. And I, when I used to work in London, have litigated against many different London boroughs in the situation where mm-hmm. long-standing employees of the local authority have had issues Issues, uh, with health yeah. they've then uh, in a situation where they haven't been to work for six to eight months and they have to be terminated mm-hmm. and what they've done the local authorities they just terminate them on ill health grounds mm. we've then looked into their contract of employment their policies and procedures and particularly for the ill health retirement policy we found it yeah. and then we've asked them to um, activate that if an employee is entitled to ill health retirement mm-hmm. and instead of that they are dismissed for long-term sickness absence, yeah. that's an unfair dismissal. Okay. So it's quite a unique yes, thing. Yeah. Because the question you asked me before the break was, can you fail dismiss someone for long-term mm-hmm. sickness absence? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. However, if there's an ill health retirement policy available and you don't activate that and give that to them and instead mm-hmm. just get rid of them as long-term sickness absence then that in that situation mm-hmm. is actually an unfair dismissal and okay. uh, so it's something that's very very important that you all need to check so if anybody at this particularly if you work for any local authority mm-hmm. make sure you check that you whether or not you are entitled to ill health retirement policy mm-hmm. or not because that is your legal right and it could make a massive difference yeah. on uh, what payout you get and how you're treated uh, if your employment ends. Okay. And you said you spoke um, regarding local authorities. Is it only restricted to local authorities or is it that I don't believe it that? is. Um, but you, it's, it's a policy which seems to be more common with local authorities mm, okay. because civil servants... Uh, public servants, civil servants, they have different types of contracts because of their government contracts. Mm-hmm. Or sort of, you know, they pay, their fees are paid from central government, aren't they? So you tend to see patterns mm-hmm. uh, in contractual entitlements that civil servants have that normal people who work for private companies might not have. Mm-hmm. You know, someone working for a small to medium enterprise, an SME as they call it, yeah. is unlikely to have certain contractual entitlements that someone working for a big multinational company might have or someone working for a local authority might have. So Mm -hmm. it comes down to the size of the employer, the administrative resources, financial resources, and that sort of dictates what contractual benefits an employee might have. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, I mean, when we hear the word retirement, we think of a certain age group. Is this restricted to age? No, because ill health retirement is based on your 
health mm -hmm. and the fact that because of your health you're unable to continue working for the rest of your life mm -hmm. so um, I haven't done one of these for a while now it's been a few years but top of my head if I remember correctly is calculated up until your retirement age because okay. because at your retirement age you'll be retired anyway, anyway yeah um, so let's say for example you had 15 years of service left mm -hmm. or 10 years of service left until retirement but because of your ill health you, you're unable to work at all for that final 10 or 15 year period mm -hmm. and there's an ill health retirement policy yeah. in your as part of your uh, contractual entitlements that that policy would pay you mm -hmm. for those 10 years that you would have otherwise worked mm. so it's as if you are still working but you're not working okay you know? um it's it, quite powerful yeah so if they're paying you for the for in that example for the 10 years you've not worked is this through contributions like a pension scheme or is it just a provision that's provided um in certain contracts so it's a provision that's provided mm -hmm. now to fund that provision it works in different ways it may be there's been a contribution then that's worth looking at whether yeah. there's been some sort of a contribution to some sort of a fund for that mm -hmm. But it may not be a contribution as well. It may simply be a policy that the employer has in place. Mm. Um, it might be funded through some sort of insurance policy, but it could even be that the employer has it in place, but the employee doesn't know mm. because they're not actually making contribution from their wages for it. Okay. So you need to check your contractual mm -hmm. entitlements for that. Okay. Um, so we've dealt with indirect and direct discrimination but people also may not be informed that um, there are other heads of claims under discrimination such as victimization so if someone now goes to their employee or their employee is aware sorry the employer is aware of their dis um, their disability um, and they're now treated unfairly how do they now go about to dealing with that situation so Unfortunately, most of the community, uh, the public, do not understand the meaning of the word victimization. Mm -hmm. Often people come to me and say, yeah, I've been singled out and treated badly. I've been victimized. Mm -hmm. So it's victimization. Mm. That's not exactly correct. Yeah. Victimization does not mean that you're being treated like a victim, mm -hmm. first of all. And it doesn't mean that you're being singled out and that means victimization. That is not the meaning of victimization in employment law. Yeah. In employment law, victimization occurs where someone makes a complaint about discrimination and then as a consequence of that complaint about discrimination mm -hmm. they are then treated badly yeah. that is what's called victimization mm -hmm. so just spelling that out a step further someone um uh let's see yeah sickness absence due to medical health they are sanctioned for it they're mm -hmm. disciplined for it they put a complaint in saying I shouldn't have been disciplined for it because mm -hmm. of my medical condition. Mm -hmm. In fact, a reasonable adjustment should have been made, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then the employer uh, dismisses them mm -hmm. because of that complaint. Mm -hmm. So that would be an act of victimization. The dismissal would not just be a, an act of unfair dismissal mm. and then potentially an act of direct discrimination, yeah. but also it could be an act of victimization. Okay. So... What is your advice to someone that believes that they have been um, discriminated against based on their disability? Because it's quite a long process, which I believe some people aren't really aware of how 
difficult it may be to take it all the way through the um, employment tribunal? What's the right steps? The biggest problem that people have is that when they come to us, Mm -hmm. we ask them, well, have you told your employer that you're disabled? Yeah. Or have you put your complaint in? And they say, yeah, I think I did. Mm. I said, well, can you show me a copy? Oh, no, no, I did it orally. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. Do not just leave it to that. I know a lot of people out there might trust their managers or their supervisors or their team leaders. Mm -hmm. But there is no harm in when you have a chat with somebody to follow up with a short email. Yeah. You follow up with a short email, you've got a record, a timestamp, a date stamp of when you discussed something, what you said. Mm -hmm. So if later on there is a dispute, nobody can say, oh, but hang on a second, he never raised that or she never raised that because you can say, yes, I did this date, this time, here it is in black and white. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do that and don't back it up in that way, then you open yourself up to a situation where if you do try and bring a case, you will simply be told yes but you never raised that with me you mm-hmm. never said the word discrimination or you mm-hmm. never said the word equality act or protected characteristic or t- even told me about your medical condition mm-hmm. so that paper trail that logging is extremely important mm-hmm. a because it creates a record so that nobody can dispute what you're saying as being wrong but yeah. also when things like this go on for months and months or years and years mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to remember every single date and time that something happened. Mm -hmm. If you've got a diary log of everything that's happened and or emails gone back and forth, Mm -hmm. then you have an opportunity, if the situation does not resolve itself, to go back and actually check records to verify what the actual position is Mm. and what date and time something happened or something was said. Mm. So it's the process of creating evidence for yourself in case you need it at a later date yeah. so i would always say back up any conversations you have with a short email mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be threatening or, or angry just yeah. anything a basic email just to cover the points and also keep a diary log if you're v- victim of bullying and harassment or victimization or mm-hmm. anything else just keep a diary log of everything so mm-hmm. if you need to go back you've got a, a comprehensive record of what happened when and where Mm-hmm. I think that's really important because a lot of the time when we do have people yeah. come in and to complain and what we hear is, oh my gosh, that definitely is discrimination. Then we say, okay, where's the evidence? And they say, oh, I didn't know or I didn't know better. So it's always in hindsight. In hindsight, it's easier to say mm. I would do it. But obviously in the time and moment, a lot of people don't take that into consideration. So it is really important to keep a, a diary, a log um for anything that happens at work so with um discrimination it might not be specifically for disability but we'll find out do they does an employee have to have a comparator for disability discrimination if you have a comparator it's helpful Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to have a comparator. You can rely on what's known as a hypothetical comparator. Okay. So as an employee, you can say that I haven't got an actual comparator, but I know for a fact that they would not treat um, a able-bodied person in this way as they treated me because of this reason or this reason. So you can do a hypothetical comparator as well. Okay. So sorry, I mentioned comparator but what exactly is a comparator so comparator is a person who you compare it's comparison Mm -hmm. of you like for like sort of situation so for example in the case of race 
if all the white people were promoted and all the black people were not, you would say, there's my comparator. Mm. My colleagues who are white were uh, promoted and myself or others who are black were not. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, for example, male or female, um, and the male men were given a promotion. Mm-hmm. Um how, how do we do this? Because the situation where there's not a comparison. Yeah, for example, mm. a woman spoken to in a derogatory term mm, because yeah. of her sex. Mm-hmm. And she then says, well, I haven't got a comparator of a man being spoken to like that. Mm-hmm. But I can rely on a hypothetical comparator that in this situation, a man would not be spoken to like this. Yeah. Do you see what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So there's ways of putting it like that as well. Is that harder yeah. to prove? It depends on the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. Some facts are so straightforward that you would simply agree and say, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and also, we know in uh, with discrimination, we have what they call a continuing act. I feel like in some uh, protected characteristics, it might be easier to prove with maybe um, gender discrimination or race discrimination. But when it comes to somebody's disability, how can they now have a chain of continuing acts without being told it's a one-off um, conduct from the employer? How does that work? So there has to be a current theme running between the series of acts. Mm-hmm. So if, for example... Um, someone was treated really badly because of their race, mm-hmm. then nothing else happens. And then further down the line, they're treated badly because of their sex. Mm-hmm. But they're two completely different scenarios. Then yeah. there's an argument, there's no continuing act there. If, however, because of disability, for example, mm-hmm. they are constantly reprimanded or not given promotion or, or anything else and it carries on mm-hmm. and there's a, a different act happening every couple of months, but it's all to the same underlying reason, yeah. then a person can argue that it's the same, there's a nexus, there's a link between all of these acts mm-hmm. and therefore there's a series of continuing acts happening against me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is the time limits for... Um, taking action because i know employment law is governed by quite strict time limits and unfortunately we see a lot of times where someone does have what we may think is a strong case but then they're out of time how does that work and are there any ways out of bringing an out of time claim so the time limit generally speaking for most claims employment tribunals is three months minus one day from the date of the act Mm -hmm. so if you suffer say race discrimination on a certain day or a failure to make reasonable adjustments on a certain day Mm -hmm. then from that date onwards you have three months minus one day to bring a claim in but that's what the risk but if you miss that day then you there's two ways of bringing it in one is um if it's a series of continuing acts as Mm -hmm. you said so if you can demonstrate that further acts have happened after that date and they're all linked to so a series mm-hmm. of acts, mm-hmm. then you can still bring the older acts in even though they're out of time on their own. Okay. Um, there is another test for bringing out of time claims for in discrimination. Mm-hmm. And my mind's gone blank because mm-hmm. I'm fasting and I can't think. Oh, but I think sorry. it's reasonable, equitable or something along those lines. It's mm-hmm. a two-word test. But basically, that test is a lower test than a test for unfair dismissal. Okay. I think just, is it just unreasonable, reasonable, equitable, something like that. But anyway, for unfair dismissal, the out-of-time claim, claim is brought, mm-hmm. the test is very stringent. 
whereas for discrimination it's a bit more relaxed. Yeah. So if you bring an out of time claim, but you can show a good reason why you are unable to bring it in time, mm-hmm. then there's a chance you could still have your claim brought under discrimination law. Yeah. But that same act, same excuse you use under the unfair dismissal, mm-hmm. it wouldn't work basically. Mm, okay. So do you feel like with all the protected characteristics, I believe there are nine, but I yeah. think that it is growing now, the list is increasing. Do you think a disability claim is one of the hardest or what is the ones that you've you know dealt with that you thought, okay, the law itself doesn't make it easy to claim against? Do you find that you've come across any like that? The, I think they're all quite similar. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem that you have in disability yeah. is the dispute of a medical condition. Mm-hmm. Because when you bring a case of race or sex you or religion, yeah. you're not going to have to prove that you're a certain race or that mm. you're a certain sex or you're a certain religion or a certain age mm-hmm. or sexual orientation. But for disability... If they can prove that you do not suffer from a disability, then they can get rid of that. So the, so in disability, you've got the extra prong to show or mm. prove that you do have that protected characteristic. Yeah. Whereas for the other protected characteristics, you don't have to prove it and because yeah. it's quite obvious. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that if that becomes highly contested, you could end up in a situation where to prove it, you have to get a medical report. Yeah. And employment law, you're in a situation where you have to pay for that medical report. Mm-hmm. So if someone hasn't got funds and they're having to pay for stuff like that, it can put a great burden Straight. on them. Yeah. So what often employers do is they try and increase that burden where possible to force an employee not to bring a claim. Mm-hmm. So what they do initially, even if it's really blatantly staring them in the face yeah. that this person does suffer from a disability, they'll deny mm. that they do. So in their claim form, when they respond, they'll say, yeah, no disability here. Mm-hmm. We don't agree. Yeah. Just to put that pressure on and to uh, on yeah, to prove it mm-hmm. and to put the shoe on the other foot. Um, so that is a strategy that employers often use. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there may be sometimes you can say to a tribunal that the person has no funds yeah. and therefore um, the employer should pay for the report either in its entirety or mm-hmm. in part. And does that happen quite often? Where they it can happen. It? it can happen, yeah, because a person, because the judge, the tribunal has to act fairly. Mm-hmm. And if it's a critical point in the case, um, then it can be argued as being just and equitable mm-hmm. that an employer yeah. f- pays for the medical report. And that's something that all disability claims mm-hmm. uh, any representative should explore yeah. when they're drafting their agendas and case orders, mm-hmm. is that if there's a dispute issue about disability, yeah. whether the employer should pay for the whole of that report or at least for half of it mm-hmm. to ease the burden of the employee. Okay. So with that being said, um, obviously we would never advise someone to leave a case if they feel like they've been um, discriminated against. But what would your advice be? I know we've talked about keeping a log, but also I feel like a lot of people are really misinformed as to the process. Um, It can be gruelling, especially when it does come to um, disability discrimination due to the medical um, side and the tests. So what what would your advice be to somebody that, maybe even listening, saying, okay, I feel like I've been discriminated against. I would say get advice as quickly and uh, urgently as possible mm-hmm. because that three months minus one day deadline flies by before quickly, you know it. Yeah. Employers will always try and drag things out 
deliberately beyond that three months one day time limit mm-hmm. so you need to get your ducks in a row you need to get advice as soon as possible so you know exactly where you stand mm-hmm. and whether you have a claim that can be proceeded with yeah. and whatever action it is that you need to take okay perfect um i believe i have someone on the line hello is this mr zaheed on the line mr mr zaheed are you on the line Yes, I am. Hi, yes. Would, would you have a question or any input? What would you like to ask? We have about four minutes left. It's a question, please. Yes, go ahead. Um, um, as I land in the airport, sometimes I get stopped by the border force and they just ask you a barrage of nonsense. Um, is it possible that you remain silent? You just tell them my passport is there, right in front of you. Uh, I'm not going to answer to all those stupid questions. Just remain silent or say no comment. Is that possible to do? Okay, I'll answer your question, but that is a uh, more of a criminal law question, not an employment law question. But fortunately, I, I, I do that area of law too, so I'll answer that question for you very quickly. Um, Thank you. Under the new um, legislation that's come out, the new terrorism bill, the border force now also have the power for to, for to do, you know, schedule seven stops and schedule seven questions. And even if they can't, the, there's always police at hand at every single airport that can. If you are stopped and interviewed under schedule seven, then believe it or not, if you answer no comment and or do not cooperate, then that is actually a criminal offence. So the power of going no comment in interviews is normally under PACE interviews, interviews that are done under caution by the police when you're arrested at a police station. But unfortunately in this country we now have legislation stemming from the Terrorism Act where the police um, and even border agencies um, have the power to do Schedule 7 interviews um, where they can ask for your pins, for your devices, ask you questions and if you don't answer those questions then that's a separate criminal offence. Well, it's nothing to do with Schedule 7. You just arrive from, from abroad. Yeah, if, it, if, fast, if it's fast. not Schedule 7, you can be as difficult as you want, um, and that's fine, isn't it? Um, but it's only if Schedule 7 is triggered that then you can have a problem. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for your Thank call, you. Mr. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So we just had a discussion on uh, Schedule 7, which is criminal law. But but you know what? I'm glad we did yeah, that. Do you know why? Good. Because uh, it's risky sometimes because not all of our panellists have the different skill sets mm. to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, end of the day, everybody, we are a community radio station yeah. and we are lawyers here. And if you have a question which is off topic, don't be afraid of calling in because mm-hmm. even if, you know, Esther, myself or somebody can't answer it, mm-hmm. we do have access to other people who can. Yeah. So if we can't help you, we'll try and signpost you or get somebody else to get back to you that can because, mm-hmm. you know, we can't predict what problems people have out there. Yeah. Uh, and there's all sorts of things going on at a very fast pace so you know this is your radio station people and you know make the most of it it's a live show you can always call in ask whatever questions you want yeah i'm glad you called in i'm glad you were here to to help and assist with that question there um okay so um if you're just tuning in this is ask your lawyer segment Um, i am esther lasahinde of liberty law solicitors and we have mr atik malik um of liberty law solicitors so we were actually discussing um employment law um disability discrimination and bringing a claim 
name and the difficulties of actually having a um, disability and bringing that forward, especially that it was Mental Health Awareness Week last week. Um, so we touched on quite a few topics. Just quickly and briefly, Atik, do you think there should be any um, reformations, any reform to the law regarding this? Um, to make it easier? There was one mm. it's in my head yeah. and my mind's gone blank and I can't think of it now. That's fine. But okay. I had one and it, I think off the top of my head, it was a reform where, um, hang on, what was it? I had this brilliant idea mm. and now it's gone. That's okay. Can I apologise to everybody? <laughs> I'm having a long day today and I'm not thinking straight. <laughs> but when I, if I do think of it, I'll post it online or something. No but I do have a brilliant idea for reform, which has just gone out of my head. No worries. We'll probably do an article on that. Yeah, we'll do an article Thank you for joining yeah. me, Mr Malik. Um, that We are coming towards the end of our show. Um, ask Your Lawyer. Please tune in next week um, for our next segment. Thank you very much and have a lovely evening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.